This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeff. And you can follow us on Twitter at Run Pod Option or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. We are partnered with the Forgotten Five, forgotten5.com. And today is our Big Ten preview. Please check out some of the conference previews we've done before. We've got the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC left. And I wanted to bring in someone I trust with Big Ten coverage. Not that I don't trust Jeff. We all know he's he's a Michigan man, but I don't trust Jeff. But we need we, you know any help we either. can get. We'll, we'll get. Good. So I called in Mark Givler. Mark, how we doing? We're doing fantastic. Mark, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself and what you're involved with? Yeah, so I spent, gosh, maybe 10, 11 years uh, with the Rivals.com network, launched a site about two months ago, BuckeyeScoop.com. We, uh, a bunch of us in the Ohio State market kind of got together and joined forces. We have, a, we have a great staff. I'm super excited about the guys I was able to, to acquire. And, um, you know, it's myself and, and Bill Green and Alex Gleitman. Those are all, you know, big names in the, in the Ohio State uh, recruiting market. We've got a young guy named Mick Walker who is another up-and-coming recruiting guy that we're very excited about. And then we got Tony Gerdeman and Tom Orr with, with team coverage and Ross Fulton breaking down X's and O's and Kirk Barton, former Ohio State captain, kind of doing a little bit of everything for us. So um, it's it's been a great first couple months. The response has been amazing. And I'm just, um, you know, thrilled with everything uh, with the site right now and, and happy to be here and, you know, shooting the breeze with you guys. And that's BuckeyeScoop.com. We're going to have a link in the show notes for anybody that's listening and doesn't have a chance to write it down. So when we started these conference previews, we were doing so under the assumption that the season was going to happen. And part of that was to stay positive. And when we booked Mark for the show last week, that still kind of stood. And then it happened. We're recording this July 13th. And the Big Ten Conference was the first to announce that they are going to a conference-only schedule. So there was a lot of talk we were doing about a lot of really cool out-of-conference games we were excited for. And that's kind of negated, which is a bummer. So I want to start with kind of a quick hit here. First, Jeff and Kyle, what were your, what's your gut feeling when you saw that news? Not surprised, honestly. It's all kind of going that way, and I don't want to get all sad and depressing, but I would be very shocked if it doesn't change again. Like as we get closer to the get closer to the season, I was a little surprised that uh, it happened so quickly. As in this early in July? Yeah, yeah. I thought that that might have been a decision that gets made later in July, even into early August, um, just to see like what everything looks like getting closer, but. You know, kudos to them for getting out in front of it and kind of setting the tone. Uh, as as we've seen, the Pac-12 has has uh, followed suit, and we're. I'm not surprised. I won't be surprised if the SEC and ACC and um, Big Twelve do the same. So, Jeff, you you have fandom in the Big Ten. So, what was your reaction? I was bummed out. You know, to start, there's there's a ton of really good out of conference matchups we were all looking forward to. You know, Michigan, Washington, Ohio State, Oregon, Wisconsin, App State. What? Yeah. But um, I wasn't surprised. <laughs> I wasn't surprised that they they canceled it. I'm with Kyle. I, I was a little surprised how early the decision was made, and also the fact that they didn't pursue local opponents. There was kind of some talk 
across a couple teams' boards that, you know, hey, maybe we're just going to cancel our, our long trips and, you know, bring teams in that can that we can bring in on a bus. I was really hoping that would happen so we could at least get more games, but I understand why they did it. You were just looking for those those uh, directional Michigan games that you hey, can watch. Western got free. I was ready. Hey, you Youngstown states <laughs> all twelve of their games are against the Big Ten. They just and they beat Northwestern. <laughs> so, Mark, with you especially, this is kind of a two sided question. First, your initial response, especially running a website that specializes in one of the Big Ten teams. So, from that standpoint, and then also maybe why you think the Big Ten in general was maybe the first to pull that trigger. Yeah, I mean, my initial response was that this was probably going to happen. It just felt like we were working toward that and that the the first move to make if you're going to alter the season wouldn't simply be to just cancel the season. You would, if you're actually trying to play football this fall, you would want to get a situation where you can control everything. And that's what they did. Now you, you, if you're only playing conference games, you can control the testing, you can control the environment. And, uh, there is a financial component there. I don't know how much you want me to dive into that, but there is a, there is a cost cutting, there are cost cutting measures here in terms of not having to, for, for Ohio state's purposes, not having to go out to Oregon, you cut out the, the reason some of these Mac games are dropped is now, the assumption is that either they're not going to have to pay these schools at all, or they're going to greatly reduce what they pay out because they're not going to be getting the gate revenue. Um, even if we have football this fall, it's going to be more than half empty stadiums. Um, I would I would venture to guess at this point, if we have football this fall, it's going to be empty stadiums. But So there's a lot of cost cutting there as well. So this was kind of the natural move to cut some costs and to gain control of the landscape as best you can. And that, that was kind of my takeaway. And, and I just think that's, that's really the, the methodology here. And, you know, the big tens kind of been ahead of the curve. I don't know if, if, if you want to put it that way, they've kind of, well, they've been early to react, put it that way. Maybe that's a better way to put it. They've been early to react in a lot of these situations. Um, I think Ohio state and Michigan were two of the first schools uh, to, to cancel spring football. So it's just kind of been their, their MO through all of this. So I wasn't surprised to see them be kind of leading the pack a little bit. We're going to get into the preview and similarly to what we did before, we're still going to speak as if there's still going to be a full conference season, right? Because we know at least that is possible at this point of our recording. So like our other shows, we're going to go through new staff highlights, maybe staff discussion, player spotlights, and any maybe side of the ball that we're excited to see how they progress, maybe how they're not going to progress, maybe they take a step back, and then we'll get into some of the key games, which now are all conference games, and then we'll make a prediction, because we're going to assume, since there's no scheduling information released from the Big Ten yet, that they're just going to be playing the conference games as they were scheduled to this year. Does that sound good to everybody? Sounds yes. good. Perfect. So let's start with the great Greg Shiana. Oh, is he great? <laughs> <laughs> so Greg Shiana returns to Rutgers. He was there for 11 years. 
He amassed a 68 and 67 record. He was 5 and 1 in bowl games. We all remember how great they were in the Big East. They were now great takes- for a little bit. Okay, that's okay. not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's a I'm trying to I'm trying to hype up Rutgers fans that are definitely listening. Okay. We hope. If you're a Rutgers fan, at us. He brings in Rob Smith. Joke's on you. There are no Rutgers fans. God, you made that bold claim before. Rob Smith (laughs) comes with them. He coached with them at Rutgers prior. He coached with the Tampa Bay Bucks. But the the hire I'm really excited by is he brought in Sean Gleason. So correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but Greg Schiano was at Ohio State before all this, correct? Correct. So from... Your perspective, which is there's a lot of recruiting part parts of it. What do you think Shiano can do for Rutgers in the recruiting department and as as a key to his success, I guess? Well, I know Shiano's got a very um, there's a broad spectrum of opinions on Greg Shiano, but here's why I think this made sense for everybody. You you have to be an insider. You have to be, you know, I'm going to make a mafia reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's you Jersey. Have, right. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, I'm. you know, look, it's, it's Jersey. Uh, so you're either, you know, you're either one of the guys or you're not. You're either, you know, you're either a made guy or you're not. And unfortunately for Chris Ash, he was always kind of looked at as an outsider. And it, it just didn't mesh well. You know, walking the hallways of the high schools in North Jersey and just dealing with alumni and, and everything else. It just it wasn't a great fit. And that's one school where it just has to be a great fit. And they love Greg Schiano at those high schools in North Jersey. Um, he's one of the guys. He's an insider. Uh, he's part of the he's part of the mafia. <laughs> he's part of the <laughs> part of the, the team there. And um so from a recruiting standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I think he's going to do pretty well there. Rel- Again, this is all relative. I think he's going to do pretty well there in terms of, you know, getting some splash recruits. I think it's it just it's such a tough job, and I think there's only I think there's only so many guys that can actually have success there. And I think he's he's one of the few that that can. I mean, he's he's really the only guy who's shown he can do it. So yeah. from that sense. I think, it, I think it's a good fit. Here's my thing with that, though, is that he had a success when they were in the Big East, which is not the Big Ten. I mean, even at that time, I know that South Florida was good. I know that West Virginia was always kind of there. But that's not the same as having to deal with your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Penn States on a yearly basis. It's in trying to recruit against that. It's I just don't. I don't know how the, how well this is going to work. Yeah, recruiting's only gotten to sort of a richer gets richer, right? So Rutgers, I think, to, to Mark's point, I think it's a good hire from the recruiting perspective because he can recruit that region really well. But the, the powers that be in college football, there's a, a lot of consolidated power in recruiting, it feels like, through a lot fewer schools than there were back when Shiano was a head coach last time. And not to mention the, the competition in the, in the conference is just better. And I, 
I feel like he's still going to be able to get the same kind of guys that he got at Rutgers beforehand. You know, Ray Rice was a really good player. Muhammad Sanu was good. You know, the, these guys were really good, but they were Big East good. I don't know if they're going to be Big Ten good. Was Mike Teal then, I think? Was- Mike Teal was definitely their quarterback. <laughs> quarterback. <laughs> well, it, again, and again, though, it, it's all relative. Um, if, if you're going to tell me that you can't win at Rutgers in the current environment in the Big Ten East – I'll buy that, but I think if I think Shiano will maximize whatever their ceiling is as a program in that environment. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do I think he's going to win nine or ten games a year there? No, I don't. I, I think the Big Ten East is at worst the second best division in college football. So I, I think you know maybe some expectations need to be adjusted there. I mean, I think you know, I'm, God, Rutgers fans are going to hate me for saying this, but. It, it, <laughs> If if you can go six and six there and go to a bowl game, that's a good season. I mean, and, and I know it's not going to go well with fans, but like that's in in that division, that's that's what the expectations need to be is try and get to a bowl game. Maybe every once in a while you can flash and get like eight nine wins. Maybe I was going to say the Indiana season last year is probably the peak for Rutgers as it stands now. I think, and yep. I do think that Shiano probably is the most likely person to get them there. At least we've seen how that program's been since he left. You know, just a shell. Yeah, I mean, before Shiano, pre-Shiano, post-Shiano, uh, disaster. I mean, yeah. oh, so awful. I mean, he's the only guy who's proven you that he can have any type of success there. And again, I, I get it. I mean, he's not, He's it's a different monster now than when they were in the Big East. But, I mean... Who's a better fit? You know, who do we know would be, that would be a better fit? You know, we, we, we have we have 50, 60, 70 years of history that says you really can't win there except for this guy. So I I would give him the benefit of the doubt. I, th- I thought I thought that was the hire that I thought Rutgers had to hire him and I thought he had to take it because of he had to rehabilitate himself a little bit in the industry um, after, you know, which I mean, I thought he got railroaded on the whole Tennessee thing. But at the end of the day, that was not a good deal for him. That was not a good situation for him. And he was kind of, um, kind of like hot lava there a little bit to others programs where it was like, well, is he going to get another major job? And so he had to, he needed this job, I think as much as they needed him to take it. And I think the only other person in that region that I would have considered is the OC that he brought in, Sean Gleason, who's worked at Princeton. He's also from the region and he's a really young bright mind offensively so that's what really makes the hire interesting because i think we all remember how those record team ruckers teams looked before and i don't think that style in their standing in the big 10 would actually get them to those eight wins it needs to be something like what gleason does with which was break records on offense at princeton which was to coach oklahoma state and they had a fantastic i think a top six or seven offense Rutgers may never be a top seven offense, but they need to be a top 20 or 30 offense. You know, the year that they do reel off six, seven, eight wins, I think, for them to really compete. Yeah, he's got a great staff, too. I mean, he put together a great – Fran Brown's a, a really good recruiter. Nunzio Campanelli is a Jersey guy with great ties to high school there. Yeah, I yeah. about Nunzio. God. I mean, and, and I got to shout out my guy Ross Douglas because I covered him at Avon High School in Ohio when he was coming out and uh, made him a four-star prospect. So I have to – Ross Douglas is kind of on their defensive staff now. So 
Um, he's helping wow, the sex there, so I got to shout him out, Michigan guy. So <laughs> get that in there real quick. Uh, so there was another head coach that got brought into the Big Ten this year, and it was when D'Antonio stepped down, and they ripped Mel Tucker from Colorado's hands in February, I believe it was. It was just kind of out of nowhere. We finally did a show that talked about all the hirings, how we thought they did, and then, of course, Michigan State does their thing. Jeff, are you – hoping that Michigan State is never good again? <laughs> no, I mean, it's more fun when they're competitive. This year they were bad, and they've been kind of trending the wrong direction for the last few years under D'Antonio, so I want them to be better, and I think he will get them back to a much more respectable level. I don't know if they'll ever reach the levels they got to under D'Antonio when they were winning Big Ten titles and going to the playoff. I just think it's it's too challenging of an environment, but they can be an eight or nine win team every year. I don't think that's unreasonable. They're they're a decent program. How did we feel about Jay Johnson as the offensive coordinator? Mm. Colorado fans didn't seem ecstatic about him, but then all the coaching insiders like Bruce Feldman say he's a rising star. So I don't I don't know where the disconnect is. So I tried to do as much homework on Jay Johnson as I could, and really. The only difference I think that Michigan State is going to have in terms of how they looked is they're going to be a little bit less of a power running team, and Jay Johnson typically leans towards more zone-type running, which I think is good. That bodes well for Michigan State, especially when they finished 96th or worse in offense the last four years, which is, <laughs> which is pitiful. So I don't Ooh. think you have to even be particularly that good, just competent. And I think Jay Johnson is that. It's also tough because Scotty, I, I do love the Scotty Hazleton hire. He's such a good defensive coordinator and also a really great mind. Mark, do you think that, that Mel Tucker will make a good difference there? And if you want to dive into the coordinators, something you like or don't like, whatever it is, feel free. Yeah, so I think this is another hire that actually makes a lot of sense. And it's going to go back to recruiting a little bit. So Mel Tucker is a big time Ohio guy and Mark D'Antonio built that program recruiting the state of Ohio. And a lot of their downfall has been that the last few years going back four, maybe five years now, Kentucky has beat the crap out of them in the state of Ohio. Kentucky has become the new Michigan state in the state of Ohio, where they're getting all those second tier kids that don't go to Ohio state and Michigan and they're developing them and they're winning eight, nine games. And that has, that is what has happened to Michigan state. And it got a little stale there. Mel is incredibly close with a lot of football coaches in the state of Ohio, high school coaches. Um, if Glenville ever gets rolling again, Mel's Mr. Glenville. So th there's a lot to like there um, on the recruiting upside. He gets Harlan Barnett back, who's Mr. Cincinnati as, as his cornerbacks coach. I think that's a huge hire for them. And that's really the thing. They, they, they started getting whipped in Ohio by Kentucky and they can't, you know, they can't let Kentucky run them out of the state anymore. And so I think you got Mel, you got Barnett, you got Mike Tressel, I think they're prepared to kind of reclaim some of that territory a little bit. That's certainly going to be their their um, goal. And so I like it from that standpoint. You know, I'm a little 
uneducated, I guess, on the coordinators. Obviously, that's going to be important. I mean, you can't, you know, you got to be able to do more than just recruit. You can't just be, uh, you know, out there getting four star kids and with with no plan or no structure in place. But I think it started. I think it started with talent. I think the, the decline started with talent, and I think they can fix that component. And then it's a matter of, you know, can these other guys uh, coach them up? But I, I do like the fit because I think again, if if you're in the Big Ten and you don't recruit the state of Ohio, I think you're in trouble. It's by far the best uh, state in the in the region for high school football talent. And if you're not having success there, I think it's hard to win the conference. And, you know, we talked about expectations with Rutgers. Well, I think expectations probably have to change a little bit at Michigan State as well, where, you know, a lot of that early success, weren't they over in the West? I mean, weren't they, when they went over legends and leaders, they were over, <laughs> they were over on the other side, right? Oh, you know, no. whatever, well, that, that experiment, that disaster. Um, but you know, so now you're, you're in the big boy division of the big 10. So, you know, is 10 and two a realistic expectation anymore? I don't know that that is, but you can win eight or nine games there. Like you guys said previously, maybe with this weird COVID time, we should go back to legends and leaders. <laughs> That's how they're going to make the big 10 schedule this year. It's they actually, it's just, yeah, it's a round robin between <laughs> leaders and legends. <laughs> I'm so fascinated to see like the rumor of going to like maybe 10 games. I'm so fascinated to see how they put that together, how they give every every team a 10th conference game now and to see that process if that I w- I just want to see that at this point, how they pick which, you know, who who they screw over and who gets the <laughs> yeah. game or whatever. That's going to be funny. They just let Maryland and Rutgers sit this one out, but they still get yeah. the TV market so that everybody else can play. <laughs> just... that, that was the whole point. That was the whole point of that. You know, yeah. we can, we can, you know, that was not, oh, they're they're not good football programs. Well, that doesn't really matter. They wanted they wanted the DMV and NYC, you know, cable money. That's all they wanted. So I have just a, a few more points here, and I'm going to throw a question to you, Jeff, towards the end of this. Um, one of them. So two. Two hires that are interesting to me, two offensive coordinator hires. Penn State steals Minnesota's offensive coordinator. So now Kirk Ciaracca is there. And Minnesota's offense looked great last year at Tanner Morgan. We'll get into that as we get into players. And then I'm going to mess this name up, but Mike Bajikan is at Northwestern. He was at Boston College last year. And... It's probably just a blind spot for me, but I had no idea who this guy was, right? The name didn't resonate, so I looked up some stuff. He was a Butch Jones disciple. He just followed him around. He was there with him at Central Michigan, at Cincinnati, at Tennessee, and then he worked for the Bucks uh, in the NFL for a little bit. Northwestern, since 2013, hasn't finished at or above the national average in SP Plus offensively. Every year... I'm going to call him Mike B, that Mike B was an offensive coordinator from Central Michigan, Cincy, Tennessee, and Boston College. They've never finished below the national average in SP+. So are we ready for Northwestern to have not the worst offense in the Big Ten? <laughs> no. Because it's neat. <laughs> but- I feel like it's, it's – it, I'm excited because, honestly, Northwestern has been an automatic turnoff for me on the TV – because of how poor their offense has been for years now. God, all I can think of though is if when you if he was there with with Bush Jones at Tennessee, is how underwhelming those teams were. It's a national average, so they just had to be better. Yeah, they just had yeah. To be, and, and SP plus is not exactly a, a pure statistical measure either, right? It's measuring efficiency sure. and explosiveness. So you can still be bad, but throwing eighty yard touchdown passes. 
Not the Tennessee that kinda, uh, Yeah. I don't, I'd say it's probably Mike uh, Bajakian. I, I think I think it's – oh, God. It, we're, gonna, we're all going to have a different pronunciation. <laughs> it, it, I, I believe it's Bajakian, but it's Bajakian, Bajakian, tomato, tomato. I, I think yeah. it, I'm pretty sure it's Bajakian, but I, you know, I could I, – I did cover him for – I covered him for like a hot minute at Cincinnati for like a day or something. He wasn't there long. Um. Kirk Siraka, I do think that's going to be a really fun hire because he did a lot of really easy kind of keep it simple, stupid things on offense with Minnesota, and they were really good. And Penn State, they might not have the receiver talent totally that Minnesota had last year, but I think Penn State's going to just become more exciting on offense, which could be interesting this year. The question I had for you, Jeff, and Mark, please, please, please fill in on this if you have any insight, but I wanted to bring up what was happening at Iowa with Kirk Ferentz's son specifically, but the outpouring support for, I forget which Iowa player that came out and said it, but about dealing with different kind of microaggression and racist stuff in locker rooms. Do we think that this has first an impact on Iowa's season this year? And secondly, and this maybe go towards Mark a little bit, is there anything that you've seen on the recruiting side? I know it's been a short turnaround and, and, and COVID obviously interrupts some of this stuff, but from a recruiting standpoint, does it seem like this may be an opportunity where recruits are really going to cool on Iowa in general? Jeff, if you want to start. Just my overall thoughts on the situation. Um, I'm not surprised, and I'm sure Mark can speak to this. The, the coaching fraternity is a good old boys club, and I'm sure the strength community is like that too. So I'm a little surprised because Doyle, I think, was considered one of the best you know, strength coaches in the country. I think he's the highest paid, but I'm not surprised. You know, this kind of stuff, if you talk to players over the years, I'm sure they would say, you know, their strength coach treated them like dirt. But there's, on the flip side of it, there's no, there's no point, no place for that kind of racism. Like, you know, some of the stuff he said to the players, are you going to rob a drugstore? You know, stuff about do rags like that, that kind of crap. Just if that's been going on for 20 plus years, then, Shame on France and shame on Iowa. That's that's all I have to say on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always I guess it's always a little surprising to me, especially this guy's reputation. And, you know, like you said, he was the highest. Pay. I mean, this this guy is uh, one of the most highly thought of strength and conditioning coaches in the country. I'm never surprised to hear, I guess, some shocking language or stories like this, because it really is the strength and conditioning coaches team in the winter. Uh, the head coach turns the whole team over to the strength and conditioning coach, and it becomes almost basic training. Th- th- their job is to literally tear these guys down to nothing and then build them back. I mean, that's that's they're trying to break these kids, and you have you, but you can't. There's lines you can't cross within that. You have to know how to do that in a way that doesn't cross a racial line or, or and, and Mark, to be clear, you're speaking not about Iowa specifically, but just strength and conditioning programs in general. Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are a lot. I don't think, I don't think you'd want to go to the, one of these winter workouts if you're sensitive or if you have that, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, uh, what these coaches put these kids through in the winter. But again, you cannot, uh, alienate, uh, you know, 
75% of your players. You cannot, you know, you can't cross these racial lines or, you know, any type of, uh, you know, protected class or anything like that. You, you have to keep it in the realm of, you know, this is, we're trying to make you better. We're trying to make you tougher. We're trying to make you faster. And, you know, there's, you can, you know, you can call kids soft and, you know, you know, you know, you can, you can push the envelope in certain directions, but, you know, again, once you get into the racial stuff, I mean, you're going to, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree and you're, you're, it's going to end badly. It's going to end badly like this. And it's, there's no place for it. I mean, there's just no place for it. And so, yeah, if this has been going on for years, that is, that's really unfortunate. I mean, that's just, um, you just don't cross it. You don't, you don't cross that line. My, my response is, it goes into what you and Jeff both said. Like, it sucks to see, obviously. The only positive thing I have to pull out of it is that we're now in an environment where, and I think we spoke about this maybe last podcast or the one before that, but where players feel like they have the voice that they've always had, but they've been told they didn't, right? Because they are amateurs. So it is relieving, at least, to see no one ever wants there to be racism, but if it's invisible racism and no one sees it and it just ends up damaging kids or their trust in other people or whatever it is, that's 20 times worse than someone shining a light on it. So in that regard, I'm happy to see this kind of stuff get unearthed because it means it's not in hiding anymore and we can address it. Like, I sincerely hope that if Doyle does keep his job and he's as good as he is, that he's learned a lesson too out of all this. He is gone. Yeah. 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 He is gone. Well, it's not also that it's also that they, that yeah, they have the voice. They also have the platform now to, to be able to put it out there with social media. Like prior to that, they'd have to find a media outlet. Now with this, they can actually get their story out. Well, and I think Iowa players weren't allowed to have Twitter during the season. I might be wrong right. there, but I think yeah, some teams, unlisted. yeah, some teams had those social media restrictions for you know no distractions. But Look, looking at you, Pat Fitzgerald, <laughs> yeah, looking <laughs> at you, Pat, with your cell phones. Thank you, Kyle, for the segue. We're going to go into to player spotlights, maybe what to watch out for for particular teams. Jeff and Mark, I want you to kind of jump in here. Kyle, you too, obviously. But I want to hold Michigan and Ohio State and maybe Penn State towards the end because they're kind of the they're the power players, Wisconsin too, for any Wisconsin fans. But but I want – because, Jeff, I didn't even look up any Michigan stuff. I wanted you to do it. And, Mark, same for Ohio State because you're the man there. So to start, I'll actually start with Northwestern since they brought up Pat Fitzgerald. Speaking of Baja Khan, my player to watch, I have Peyton Ramsey, the transfer from Indiana that is going to be the quarterback, presumably for Northwestern this year. He's going to have to battle off TJ Green, Hunter Johnson, but I think he's going to have to be the pivotal part if that offense is going to improve, and there's definitely room for it. They had six passing touchdowns all of last season. Oof. And Peyton, Ram- Peyton Ramsey outscored their entire quarterback room. I'm excited to see what Ramsey does for Northwestern in what might even just be a one-year stopgap, but to take the next step offensively. Kyle? 
I'm going to go with Rondell Moore. Just because... I mean, he's he is the Purdue offense, um, and he if he stays healthy, he could easily be a dark horse for the Heisman. Kid's a freak. And in his injury, I actually was going to mention David Bell because David Bell came up pretty big down the stretch for Purdue. And I don't want I think we forgot about it, Kyle. So I'm here to remind you that we are going to have the return of Jack the Snack Plumber. Oh, Jack the Snack Plumber. And he's, he was pretty average last year, like truly, <laughs> but his name is, is is pure greatness despite not being related. There's a chance that he gets unseated by Aiden O'Connell or UCLA transfer quarterback Austin Burton. But David Bell and Rondell Moore are going to be an extremely fun one-two receiver tandem. Well, you took my guy David Bell from me, but... Oh, no. Uh, if you have anything more on David Bell... Rondell Robinson in Nebraska... Okay. No, I, I, I don't know. You, I think he's a, I think he's a, you know, I think he's a three and done NFL guy. I mean, he's, he's a big time guy. Um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to Wandale Robinson caught 40 balls last year. He can carry it. He can catch it. He can perch in the return game. I think uh, Nebraska is going to need a lot from him. Jeff. I'm going to keep it with Mark. Uh, Adrian Martinez quarterback from Nebraska P- pressures on. I mean, he showed promise as a freshman, Last year, he was just beat up, and they could not keep him upright. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Frost this year. Their schedule is backloaded. They start off with Northwestern, Illinois, and Rutgers, which is could be they could be 3-0, but after that, it's Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. So that could be a brutal finish if they can't turn things around. So I'm looking to see if uh, Martinez can get some of his magic back from his freshman year. What do you know? I have a Nebraska player, too. <laughs> and it is actually a defensive player. It's their cornerback, Cam Taylor Britt. It interested me last year. He stood out in one of the games that I had watched, and he lined up at linebacker, cornerback, and safety for them last year. So he really has a wild card aspect to him, and I think he could be on what is probably going to be a, a pretty mediocre defense, clearly far and above the best player on the field for them. Big year for Scott Frost, by the way. Yep. Just throwing that out there. Really critical year for Scott Frost. <laughs> well, let's take a small detour, Mark, because we asked this of our other guests. Do you think that because of how the season is laid out, if no other cancellations happen, it's only going to be a big 10 year, the financial hit that all these institutions are going to have, do you think there's even a chance that they're going to release a coach just for I mean, if their team totally gives up and, like, lights the stands on fire, like, yeah, okay. But, like, <laughs> but like normal circumstances, just a poor year, do you think there's going to be a chance for coaches to be losing their, their jobs at the end of this year? There is an element of job security that I think is getting added to this as we contemplate the financial ramifications here. Even the big, I mean, and Nebraska's got money, and you know some of these these big time pro these blue blood programs they have money, but I don't know. It's I think it is going to take a bit of a, a dumpster fire, even more so than usual, to get a coach fired because of the buyouts. Um, I just don't think this is a good landscape to be paying multiple head coaches. You know, it's it's definitely not a good landscape to be paying a coach not to be your coach. I'll, I'll tell. I'll, I will say that. I will go out on that limb. So I think that's, um, I think, I think that's correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Jeff? There was one other guy, and I know we're trying to hold off on the 
the big boys. No, um, we can we can do the big boys. I just I know that you and Mark are a lot more knowledgeable, so I had nothing to segue it into. That's all. Well, this is actually a guy I, I didn't really get much of a chance to see last year. I, I know Mark probably saw him when he played against Ohio State, but Journey Brown is kind of being hyped as, you know, the next big Penn State running back. Um, and they have a really talented backfield. They might have the best overall group of running backs in the Big Ten. So um, I heard Saquon uh, comparisons being made the other day. I don't know if that's accurate. I think he's built a little differently, but... He's a power runner and just, I think he was a super talented guy coming out of high school. So excited to see him with his new OC and offensive line coach, you know, opening things up for him. Yeah. And I think Sean Clifford is, is a player for, to watch for me on that for the same reasons, the offensive coordinator change, assuming there's going to be more run pass option in their playbook, journey Brown, Noah Kane, that whole stable of running backs is going to be really important on Clifford's development because we saw last year he can't always take the heat. So I think Journey Brown's going to play a huge part in that for sure. I have another one since we're talking about uh, quarterbacks with great names. And it's since Peyton Ramsey left Indiana, we now have the return of Michael Penix Jr. Ooh. And he put on 15 pounds in the offseason, strong arm, quick legs. He's a, he's a playmaker, but health was an issue for him last year. So with Kalen DeBoer leaving, I'm kind of curious how Indiana looks offensively. They still have their top two rushers returning, their top two receivers returning. I was going to say eight wins is probably another realistic expectation, but with the shortened schedule, I still think that they probably, assuming they play ten games, that maybe six or seven is still obtainable for them. And one of those running backs in particular, Stevie Scott, the third. I really liked watching him run last year. We're leaving out. Uh, I'm surprised you're leaving these two out, Marty. The uh, the combo of Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman. Well, we hadn't gotten to Minnesota yet. I was going <laughs> to. <laughs> They're not a big boy. No, I know. Uh, PJ. Yeah, PJ Flex got them on the up and up, man. They're going to be perennial West contenders now. Okay, I, I I still wasn't gonna put him into the into the big boy category <laughs> okay, yet. So so Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman, they're they're really obvious picks. They're definitely players to watch. The one person I wanted to bring up, so they lost Rodney Smith, their running back, who was pretty good. They have a running back named Muhammad Ibrahim, who got hurt last year, I believe, early on. But as a true freshman, he stepped in for other injured running backs. So this is this is his third year, if you're tracking here. And his stats two years ago were almost identical to what Rodney Smith did. So I think that to Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman's benefit, it's going to be just a plug-and-play for their offense coming into this year. So Muhammad Ibrahim was the player from Minnesota that I really wanted to point out. I've also got some players here from Michigan State, Illinois. Where do we want to go next, gentlemen? Just take us everywhere. Go to Illinois. <laughs> Ooh, okay. This has the hardest explanation name ever. So, they're running back Mike Epstein. He's a player to watch to make sure the offense keeps clicking because a, a pivotal part of their offense, especially late in last year in their comeback against Michigan State, for instance, their quarterback, Brandon Peters, that goes unsaid. Also, the receiver, 
uh, Josh Emator Baby. Did I nail that? I think I yes, nailed, nailed it. it. Oh yes, God. Josh Emator Baby. All right, so very nice. He's a receiver that I really want to watch. Epstein is definitely one of the running backs. He's got a incre- he's a one cut and quick burst guy. I started watching some film on him because. Listen, I just watched the Epstein doc. So the name I was going to say, I was going to say, was that the film that you watched? The name interest uh, me. It's not the same. <laughs> uh, he he could be really really exciting for them. Mark, the fact that Mike Epstein is still playing college football is shocking to me because it felt like I had covered him at a St. Thomas Aquinas like nine years ago. Um, so that was a blast from the past there. You know, he's had some injury issues, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, he's back now. It'll be a, I guess it'll only be a, you know, it's only fourth year. So I, I was like, oh, my gosh, you got like a sixth year. But I guess uh, time flies, <laughs> I guess. Um, We're just getting old, Mark. That's what it is, man. Um, <laughs> every day I, you know, I'm starting to cover kids of, you know, guys I watched, you know, play. And it just – but, um, yeah, I just – I see a lack of – there's just there's just not a lot of wow factor here in the in the offensive skill for Illinois. I just think that's been a big part of their problem is those splash big plays. Where where are they going to come from? It's just it's hard to grind it out on the ground four and a half yards at a time. And um, that's you know when I look at you know kind of what they have coming back, it's just like where are where are those splash plays coming from? Because we can look at teams that have similar records. I mean, you look at it like Nebraska, who was you know five and seven last year, and there's plenty of splash plays to be had with Martinez and Robinson and some of those guys. You don't struggle to see where they could you know get those points, and it's it's uh, it's looking bleak. They they gotta they gotta find somebody who can who can kind of move the needle there a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of. A lot of vets. Uh, Corbin's gone, right? Brown's gone. I mean, yeah, they got to find some guys who can who can change the scoreboard. And last year, when they upset Wisconsin, I believe it was their last three drives, maybe because Kyle, you were over at my house watching that. I believe it was Illinois, Wisconsin, oh, yeah. right? Their offense never looked like it was moving forward. <laughs> like it, like they just. It, every time they dropped back to pass, Peters was scrambling or trying to figure, you know, get a quick hit, and it ended up being their defense that got them in that position. Epstein, in particular, especially after seeing, because that's what I watched was the Aquinas High School highlights. He could be someone on the edge that actually really gives them a burst that might be needed. Yeah, and that that Wisconsin game was that was a was that wasn't an Illinois comeback. That was a Wisconsin just <laughs> <No>. implosion. Yeah. <laughs> That was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I've never been a bigger fan of Lovey Smith. Truly. Um, man, I'm trying to stay away from the big boys. Let's not, let's not do let's no, no more limit on the big boys. The embargo is off. Let's rip it. Well, I do, I do have a question for you guys. So Wisconsin is finally losing what feels like the 15th guy who's run for over a thousand yards. In the last five years. So who is next? Who is next in the Wisconsin running back pipeline? It's plug and play, man. doesn't matter. I know. I can't wait. Yeah, I think Kyle could get <laughs> 900 yards. I might be able to. Just falling forward behind that offensive line. I actually well, if have... I fall forward, I'm only getting like two yards. I'm not that big. 
I actually, yeah, that's a good point. I actually have Wisconsin's defense as a point of focus for me. Some stats from last year. So they're returning 81% of their production. They ranked first in the nation last year on third down conversion percentage. So they gave up the worst third down conversion percentage against offenses, if that makes sense. And they also placed second in the nation on havoc rate. Their defensive linemen in particular that I wanted to point out, Isaiah Loudermilk, Keanu Benton, Garrett Rand. Those guys are going to continue to keep that Wisconsin defense pushing and let the linebackers just fly around. So I think Wisconsin has probably got a top 10 defense, maybe again. I mean, they've always had a pretty strong defense. I'd agree with that. I've got one from Maryland. I can't believe he hasn't been set. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. There was a a player, a receiver named Rakeem Jarrett, who was signed Hmm. to LSU and he flipped to Maryland and that is the only person that I really have that much interest in on Maryland is to see how Rakeem Jarrett, and in particular how Maryland uses him, because I'd imagine, A, he's probably going to come in and be one of the most talented offensive players, but also, B, a, a signal to other recruits of, hey, if you're a big-time recruit, why not come here and play immediately? Because if he stays healthy, I'd expect him to be out there for a large percentage of those snaps, even with Josh Jackson from fumbling away games and he only watched the first two games of the season last year and it was like this is the greatest offense that's ever ever been yeah yeah he saw, <laughs> he saw 70 points in a game and he goes yeah that's easy money done yeah i mean i think maryland has assembled talent now can it be coached up that's kind of been my question you know mike mike loxley has never ever had a problem recruiting that's acquiring talents never been a problem there it's can he formulate all that into a cohesive unit and um i, I like some of their young backs the the jacobs kid and uh they, they've got some guys i mean they it's just going to be a matter of okay we've we've kind of seen this movie before with them where they've accumulated individual players and it just, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't look right <laughs> when Saturday rolls around. So that's my question. I, I actually look, I actually do like their talent. It'll be interesting to see how they do, especially on defense, because I think they gave up like 40-something points per game last year in Big Ten play, and they went the dreaded Juco route to try to plug some holes. So it'll be, like you said, really interesting to see if they can get some of that talent to play well together, because you can't give up. I mean, that's, that's awful. That's terrible. Per SP+, Plus, they had the third worst defense in the Big Ten. Yeah. And the only people that were worse were Purdue and Rutgers, and that's not hard to believe. It is what it is. And, and I'm just not sure how much upward mobility they have this year. I mean, how, where, where is that getting better? Because I can already tell you other teams are going to get better. I mean, you know, Rutgers gets a, a transfer from Brendan White at Ohio. He's the Rose Bowl MVP two years ago. It's going to be a huge upgrade for Rutgers. You know, where where is Maryland going to really improve on that side of the ball this year? You have to think that it's a huge step back from Michigan State, maybe a huge step back from Indiana, and hopefully, depending on how they decide to do this conference-only schedule, that they end up facing like the Northwesterns of the world instead of 
the Minnesota or Wisconsin's. That, that's the only upward mobility I can think of. And hoping that Rutgers doesn't make that big of a leap. Yeah, hoping that Rutgers is just a total mess, that Michigan State, all the turnover, maybe that'll just fall apart, you know, halfway through the year or something. That that's it's it's really dependent on the other people, on the other teams. And it, it's I mean it's a it's a bad off season to be a first year coach at the school that you're at. I mean, not that you know, not that Mel Tucker and Greg Schiano are first year coaches, but they I mean man, they lost every I mean, you're you're trying to, you know, instill a new culture, a new system i mean geez that you know that's going to be something to watch i think too with those teams i was going to touch on i was receiving core oddly enough so nate stanley's gone but there are four receivers that i'm interested in what they do this year because i like i just hate myself and pick hard names to pronounce they got a nico regani amir smith marset brandon smith tyrone tracy jr I think it probably is the best receiving core that I was had in the last, at least in the recent memory. And they still got their running backs, Tyler Goodson, McKee Sargent. So whoever comes in or ends up being their quarterback is going to have, I think, a pretty loaded offense in terms of playmaking ability. So that's a that's a I guess a whole side of the ball really that I want to watch Iowa's offense. And I think that leaves us with Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State is untouched so far. Is that correct? Michigan State, Antoine Simmons, linebacker. He's great. <laughs> had to sneak that in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have well, – you, you stole my little – You stole my Harlan <laughs> Barnett line because I was going to dive into him just on like what he did for Michigan State back in, in the early teens. But I think that the Michigan State's defense is going to be – I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off there. Without yeah, he's the entire staff, yeah. basically. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if – if he's going to have every year, they rotate to a new position like D'Antonio did, and just oh, uh, God. instead of actually replacing uh, assistants. No, jeez. Let's start with Penn State, since no one here is a Penn State guy. Oh no, we did Penn State, didn't we? We did Journey Brown, Journey Brown, and Sean Clifford, and everybody else. Well, yeah, yeah. We talked about the you know I don't know how we got through Penn State without talking Micah Parsons and yeah, Pat that's, yeah. But, yeah. Um, that's who I was yeah. looking for. I, I think, you know, oh, I'm going to get some blowback for this too, but here we go. Um, <laughs> when you look at the Big Ten, and specifically the East and the kind of the gauntlet that is, there's no question in my mind that Penn State has the second most individual talent. Like, everyone's going to talk about that Ohio State-Michigan game. Now, can James Franklin – coach it all up and put it all together in the big games. I mean, I think that's kind of yet to be determined, but if I'm looking at, you know, player for player, I think Penn state's talent is the biggest threat to Ohio state this year. And I think he's got a, a really, a really well-balanced team this year. And I think he'd really have to screw it up to not have a great season. And that's James Franklin for you. Do you think the biggest difference is at quarterback having Justin Fields instead of Sean Clifford? That feels like the biggest that's a massive gap. gap. That's yeah. a yeah. big. That's a big difference. I think that's a big difference. I think. I mean, I think you look around the Big Ten, and I think that's kind of a big reason why it, it has been tough. Is if you look at the quarterback play, but you know the offensive line at Ohio State. This is probably the best offensive line Ohio State's had in maybe twenty five years. Twenty twenty five oh, years. I mean, God. I think we're. I think we're going back to Orlando Case Corey Stringer days to get a better offensive line at Ohio State. So that's going to be 
the thing as well. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately quarterback play is is a is a big separator there between those two teams. So we can actually kind of work. We can use this as a perfect segue into Ohio State players because I wanted to ask you who you thought is going to ultimately be the the lead back with J.K. Dobbins gone. And now that you mentioned the offensive line, it might not matter. But who do you think has the inside track to be the starting running back and to help Fields out specifically? And if you want to dive into the receivers and stuff too, so it's it's interesting. I, I do th- I do kind of joke that it doesn't really matter. I mean, like you and I should be able to get four or five yards a pop behind that offensive line. I mean, it's it's just it's it's the best one they've had in so long, and um, it was it was a great one last year. It was one of those you know J.K. Dobbins would come out and Master Teague would come in and get seven yards a carry, and then they'd bring in Marcus Crowley or Steel Chambers, and they would get seven yards a carry. It was just it was never ending, and I don't think it's gonna be quite that. I don't think they've got a JK this year. I think it's going to be Trey Sermon, but I mean, this is wild. All three, their top three running backs are coming off serious injury. Uh, Master Teague had an Achilles thing. I think he's going to be ready to go. Trey Sermon's coming off an ACL, and Marcus Crowley's coming off a knee injury, uh, which I believe is an ACL. He's coming off a serious knee injury. Um, so, who? It's like who's going to be the healthiest? Yeah when this gets together, but I think it's gonna be Trey Sermon. But unlike last year where they kind of just went to, they kind of rode JK the second half of the season. I think part of that may have been a Heisman thing, but this year it will be more committee. I, I, I expect Sermon and Teague to get the lion's share of the carries though. I think probably Sermon gives you a little more in the passing game. So I, I think he has the inside track, probably a little healthier, but um, it, it should be, it should be kind of a two headed system. Maybe the shortened season helps them in that regard because it's easier to keep when you have eight, nine or 10 games and you have three backs that might get dinged up being able to rotate them enough or by outclassing, depending on your schedule, you know, if you, if you're up on somebody, it's easy to put in your freshman running back too, and just let him just carry it and and waste time. Yeah. They've got some depth there. If those guys are healthy and it's just, Again, it's a matter of, okay, how do things actually look for them? Again, assuming we're on schedule with everything, how do things actually look for them on September 5th health-wise? Are the knees good? Is the Achilles good? I mean, there's there's a lot of, I would say, finger-crossing going on right now there just to make sure everyone's going to be ready to go and, and be in good good shape. But It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be more by committee this year for sure. Okay. Uh, And before we jump to Michigan, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Hearing how good of a recruiter Brian Hartline is for Ohio State, in in your coverage, what is it that he's doing differently or that he's doing so well to be such an ace recruiter for Ohio State? Well, first of all, he likes it, and that's – important you he, some guys are not built to be recruiter to be recruiters and so he enjoys it he's young he's played in the NFL so he knows how to relate to the kids he was where they wanted to be um, he can give them a, you know he can share a cool story about the NFL and just you know he works hard at it I mean I don't think there's this like 
secret sauce or whatever to recruiting. You have to like it. You have to work hard at it. And and that's really, you know, 90% of it. And if you can throw in that he's a young guy who's been in NFL locker rooms and can kind of share some experiences from that, that's all the better. But I mean, he really just, uh, he, he works it. He, he zeroes in on about maybe six or seven guys to get his three receivers and that's who he recruits and he goes after him you know, like crazy. It was it was shocking the first time I saw him at the top of I think it was rivals like recruiter rankings and I was just like man I, I didn't even I hadn't even thought the name in a few years because the last time I saw him was when he went to the NFL. And you could start to see it coming because he was like a quality control coach on the staff for for maybe a year or two. And I talked to recruits and they would mention him. And it's like, okay, that's interesting because normally you're you're only mentioning the position coach, maybe the coordinator and the head coach. You're not generally mentioning a recruit in an interview setting or just talking to him is generally not going to mention to me a, a quality control guy. And he would come up when I was talking to other receivers. And that, that was interesting to me. So I kind of knew. I'm like, okay, this guy is like into this thing. He's into this recruiting thing. So I thought he'd do well. Did I think he would sign – one of the best receiver classes we've seen the last maybe five or 10 years. Uh, that, that I guess was, you know, and getting Julian Fleming out of Pennsylvania where every kid from that area of the state of Pennsylvania goes to Penn state was, was pretty amazing. So yeah, he's um, I thought he'd do well, but he's certainly um, even, you know, beat my expectations. On to Michigan, Jeff, they lost a lot. <laughs> They're 119th yes. returning offense, 110th returning defense. Oh, boy. That is uh, – I didn't even think it was that bad until I just hadn't looked at it. So if you want to name some players in particular, and if you want to even talk about maybe what you need to see in terms of progress, maybe from Gaddis or Harbaugh or Brown, go ahead, dive in. This is your time. Yeah, that was quite a few different topics. Um, I think just to start on <laughs> offense – you always want to see a progression in year two. And I think towards the end of last year, things really started to click with Gaddis's offense. Um, they really didn't run the ball that well. I think they finished under four yards per carry, which was surprising. But, you know, Patterson finished with over 3,000 yards with his, you know, limitations. Now that's going to be, I think that's the biggest question is you lose four starters on the offensive line to the draft and you replace your quarterback with no spring and now no non-conference. So Michigan might end up being better on offense, but it doesn't, it might not look that good if that makes sense. So um, that's going to be interesting. They have plenty of production coming back, running back the two starters from last year back. They get Chris Evans back who was suspended last year, more of a, a speed and space guy. I am glad Gaddis has been there because he's finally adopting the right approach in recruiting receivers. They've stopped going for guys that are 6'3", 220, and they're going more for guys that are, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 6 foot, but can run 4'4". Uh, it's kind of the approach I think Ohio State has really su- succeeded with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the offense is going to be fun. The defense is going to be really good under Don Brown, but fans are kind of at a point where it's like, okay, great, you know, you're elite against 10 teams on your schedule. It's time to, you know, finish the big one. And that hasn't happened. It's, and I think some of it is the players, some of it's the coaches, but that's kind of where the, where the fans are at. It's like put up or shut up time for him. Is there anyone particular on defense you're looking forward to seeing? There's two guys, Cam McGrone. He's a linebacker kind of came on towards the middle of last year, just a 
very much like Devin Bush. He's a, a speedster, super athletic. Really needs to continue to refine his game. Love to watch him. And then the other, you know, five star on their defense is Dax Hill. He's a safety that started towards the end of the year and really, really performed well. So, you know, just seeing him back playing center field, I'm you know excited to see. Awesome. And are there any other players that anyone wants to bring up before we knock out these schedules? This will be a, a shorter version for schedules because there's going to be less games. And then we get on to our predictions. Well, I really like Nico Collins as an NFL, a future NFL guy. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I look at I look at what they've got, and you know, the glass half full would be, yeah. I mean, Ronnie Bell, Nico Collins, returning. They got backs returning. If if it's McCaffrey, I mean, I don't know. I mean, gosh, I just they just got to figure out that quarterback situation because I think they have. Some, some pretty good weapons here. And I've seen Ed Warner. He's not the greatest recruiter, but I've seen him build offensive lines from scratch. I mean, from nothing. I mean, when he was at Ohio state, they had, they would have, they had years where they lost four guys and you're like, well, how are they ever going to build a, a good offensive line the next year? And he did it. And they always got better as the year went on. And I thought, uh, I thought last year, the offensive line got better as the year went on as well. I think so. It just, to me, it comes down to, what are they doing at quarterback? And why is this taking so long to, for them to get a quarterback? I just, you know, it, it feels like, you know, Harbaugh got this reputation as kind of being a quarterback whisperer. I'm like, okay, wh- what quarterback are we on now? Five, six, seven? They've got to get better than average play at quarterback. If, if they if they want to get over the hump, that's that's really, for me, their their thing. I think we can go round and round about the skill guys that they've lost in the offensive line, but I think there's some optimism there. To me, it's can you develop a quarterback? So let's get into our key games. We're going to, again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, presume that we're, they're going to play out only the conference games as they are on their schedule. They just cut off the ends or cut off the out-of-conference so subject to change. I'll lead off Nebraska at Iowa. Two years in a row, Iowa's won this on a game-ending field goal. You may remember last year where the Iowa kicker kicked a 48-yard field goal and then did the Dikembe no-no-no finger and then blew a kiss <laughs> to the Huskers' sideline. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. It's such a... I was looking up something about Scott Frost unrelated to this show and I ended up, not unbeknownst to me, because I'm not familiar with the message board scene, click on an Iowa message board that was speaking about Scott Frost. I did not, and maybe it's just me being ignorant here, I did not realize how much these guys hate each other, man. Iowa and Nebraska hate each other so much. It is, It was disgusting, the things that were being said in that message board. I mean, you've got two programs that recruit a territory of like, a billion square miles to find like five kids like they can actually <laughs> out there. So it's competitive out there. I mean, they're fighting for the three kids to come out of their respective States each year that are, you know, scholarship kids. So it's, it, there's not a lot of, ta- well, you know, when, when there's not a lot of deer to hunt. Yeah. The hunters are going to be a little more competitive. They're all inevitably interior linemen too. <laughs> Yeah, they're, but they've each got an arm on the kid that's on his daddy's tractor trying to pull him out of the damn thing to get him to come play football for him. 
really intrigued by I was looking over Wisconsin's schedule again it's, it has changed a lot because they lost their two awesome non-conference games against App and Notre Dame but their first two games are Michigan and uh, Minnesota so they're starting right off um, you know we talked about losing Taylor they have a lot of production coming back but just that's a real tough way to start the season and then they have a couple games Purdue, Nebraska and Iowa to finish so just it's going to be really, I'm just intrigued to see how they are this year. Yeah, because you're getting thrown right into the fire. Yeah. At Michigan, first week, yeah. That's what's been lost on me as, as we were preparing for the show and, and hearing that the out-of-conference is gone. Is that you're just going to go right into it. Like, some team is going to have to start their year against Northwestern's going to have to play Penn State <laughs> the first week, you know, if, if it stands as it is now. And that's a, that is a tough way to break in a new offensive coordinator. I think I've got a little bit of a – I've got another game that's kind of morbid. I've got morbid interest <laughs> in. And it would be the first game oh, of the no. season for Rutgers, and that's <laughs> Ohio State. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, that's not the way you want to come in if you're Greg Schiano. <laughs> Mark, will they call off the dogs on Schiano? Yeah, I don't think there's – I don't think there's bad blood there. I could see – I could see them going easy there, especially since, you know, not to derail us so far, but they've got two, their, their backup quarterbacks are basically true freshmen. And at some point they're going to have to get a look at those guys, especially with Justin Fields being a, a running threat and what that means on the physical toll he takes. So, yeah, I don't think in this, in this new landscape, I think it's going to be about just, getting W's and getting guys out of games. Yeah, maybe they'll institute like a... Uh, a mercy a, a rule? White, a white t- a mercy rule, a white towel they can throw in, and if you're <laughs> up by 50, they just end the game to Hit save the everybody the time. Penn State at Michigan. Home team has won the last four, and it's going to be at Michigan, assuming here. I think Penn State probably wins it. This year, and that's going to be interesting just for that rivalry in general, but also how the East unfolds. Yeah, and just one note on that. There's kind of a quiet, I don't know if Mark has heard this much, there's kind of a quiet rivalry brewing between the coaching staffs because James Franklin really hits Michigan hard with a negative recruiting, and Penn State actually has, I think, three four-star kids from the Detroit area committed in this class. There's three, there's two or another one coming, but they've really gone at Michigan, both, you know, recruiting in and talking to recruits. So I hope, I hope Harbaugh is uh, extra fired up for that one. I don't think you could find two more different personalities than James Franklin <laughs> and Jim Harbaugh. Like you, you, I could know nothing about like the two programs or anything like that. But if I spent five minutes with James Franklin and then spent five minutes with Jim Harbaugh, I said, "Oh, I bet those two wouldn't get along." <laughs> that, I mean, just like <laughs> it is, you know, it just doesn't. I don't know. They're very different guys. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a game. I'm gonna go from one of the best games of the two prominent programs. I'm gonna throw out a really interesting game to me and probably nobody else. How about Purdue at Nebraska to kick things off? Two coaches who got off to like these great hype starts, kind of struggled big time last year. Fans are kind of ready to kill them. And now they've got to kick off with each other. 
and the the team that loses if you want to entertain if you want some entertainment on September 5th <laughs> Purdue or Nebraska whichever team loses that game that fan base is going to lose its mind and it is going to be questioning its future in a in a way that most programs will not be after week 1 it's going to be I hope it's Nebraska <laughs> <laughs> I hope they tie that would be an extreme <laughs> and to be two two coaches that need to prove something for them to both have such an explosive offense reputation it'd be that game's going to be exciting as hell it's probably going to be like car crash exciting but still extremely exciting it's going to be like 73 to 65 or something probably yeah yeah it, it's it's not going to be like a demolition derby it's gonna be like bumper cars where they just it's keep bouncing off each other and just going on to the end zone you're saying this, and it's going to be cheese it bowl exciting. Uh, nine interceptions. Aiden Martinez uh, fumbles it five times. Just it becomes a complete disaster. That's all the games I kind of had pointed out. I had Iowa Wisconsin, but we kind of hit on um, Wisconsin's early schedule, and I thought Jeff made a better point out of it. Well, I mean, I think Minnesota's season is determined by that two game stretch of them playing Wisconsin on the road, then Michigan at home. Yeah, they really don't have a bad schedule. No, their schedule isn't that hard to manage. I don't think if if they can get through that. Yeah, that really, man. They avoid Ohio State and, and Penn State Penn for now. State. See if they yeah, add that game, yeah. what happens here? I mean, but yeah, yeah, you're right. For now, I mean, you know, the road games aren't brutal. I mean, Maryland, Illinois, not 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 that you know, road environments are going to be a totally different thing this year, uh, but. You're not, you know, yeah, the Wisconsin's all, and even with no fans, at Wisconsin's going to be be a tough one. But, you know, Maryland, Illinois, and then you get Purdue and Northwestern at home. Man. And finish at Nebraska, and they may be just totally defeated. Because the Michigan game's not going to impact as much. I mean, if, if you if they just beat Wisconsin, that's yeah. going to be very difficult for them to not win that division, I think, yep. if, if they stay healthy. Yeah, because I think they beat Iowa to start to start the year. Especially with all the stuff going on there, that being the yep. first game. Puts yeah. them behind the eight ball, Iowa that is, and then Wisconsin. And it's almost – it's a catch-up game for both of them, for Iowa and Wisconsin to try to get back into it. PJ, PJ's good, man. I, he's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. I mean, he's a, he's a intense guy. He's – you know, some of peop, a lot of people think some of the stuff's gimmicky, but like – Man, I got asked on the, I got asked on our site a few weeks ago. Like, if Ryan Day stepped down at Ohio State, like tomorrow, who would you hire in the Big Ten if you were Ohio State? I said, I'd hire PJ Fleck. I just I think what he's I, I don't I don't think he's getting quite enough respect for what he's doing there. That is not an easy job. No, he's he is eccentric. It feels like, but he also he's kind seems- of a young Urban Meyer where he rubbed people the wrong way, but. You look at the results and the way he motivates his guys, and it's like, okay, you know, how do I argue against this? Well, and not only his players, but he also seems to have the – he puts all of his faith into his coordinators and position coaches too. And I think that those coaches feel that. Like it's only going to empower a coach, and if he's making the right coaching hires, it's just a win-win. I, I know a couple guys on that staff, and they – PJ works them like dogs. No, but but they love him. I I don't hear 
stories about guys not liking to work for him, and he works them hard, but they still, I mean, that, that, there's something to be said for that. In another, in another world, PJ Fleck is a millionaire off multi-level marketing. <laughs> All right, let's make our conference predictions. So again, just a small reset. We're assuming the schedule's going to go as planned. So we're going to pick an East, a West, and then who we think is going to win the championship. So let's start in the East. Mark, we're going to have you go last because you're the guest. Jeff? You know, I think this is finally the year Michigan State takes it. No, just kidding. It's going to be Ohio State. <laughs> okay. Ohio State from no you, question. Kyle? Until Ohio State gets dethroned, it's Ohio State. I wanted to be slick and pick Penn State, but I also picked Ohio State because Fields over Clifford. It's just a, too big of a gap. Mark. I, I mean, I have to go Ohio State, and my reasoning is that if you look at what they're what they're returning at quarterback, at receiver, at offensive line, that's going to be in, in a landscape where everyone's losing so much practice time. Shouldn't the team that returns the chemistry of the quarterback and the receivers and the chemistry of a, an experienced offensive line, shouldn't that team be, out, be, be able to get out of the gates faster than teams that are replacing quarterbacks, replacing offensive linemen, not sure who their weapons are going to be? I, I just think that if you have an experienced offense, that after all this practice time, all these teams have missed, that it's going to be a lot easier chemistry-wise earlier to get rolling. And that's, that's really the big thing to me. I, I love Penn state's talent, but I, I just, and, and now, you know, that if that at Penn state game, I mean that it's not going to be a 110,000 person white out in prime time. So that game, you know, their, their roadblock, I think becomes a little easier. So, you know, I, I just I don't know. It's it's hard for me to it's hard for me to go against Fields, those two receivers with with Olave and Wilson and that offensive line. It's it's really hard for me to go against that. All right, so we're all on Ohio State in the West. Kyle. So it's real hard for me to pick against Wisconsin because they're always fucking there. <laughs> they just they're they're always there. It's the same thing that they do in basketball. They're always there. But the MLM machine at Minnesota has got me sold. <laughs> give me, give me Minnesota to win. The, the Herbalife head coach himself. <laughs> I've also got Minnesota to win the West. Jeff, I'm going to be the contrarian here. Wisconsin's next 2,000 yard rusher, Nakia. Since Minnesota beat Wisconsin last year, I think it's going to flip, and this, their schedules are pretty comparable. You know, depending on what happens, so. I'm actually going to take Wisconsin this year. All right. And finally, Mark, who do you have winning the West? I'm going to, well, I'm not going to totally cop out here. What I will say is if they go to a 10 gamer, I think it, I think that whoever Wisconsin and Minnesota draw in that 10th game could ultimately maybe decide. I mean, what if one of them draws Ohio state or Penn state? I mean, that could be, yeah, that could decide the division. So I'm going to just throw that out there as food for thought, but I'm going to go Wisconsin. And again, this is, gonna blow up in my face probably like immediately because i don't think the schedule is actually gonna hold up the way it is right now but if you look at their schedule they would in theory have a bye week before between michigan and minnesota um and they get minnesota at home um which won't be as important as usual but 
I just, man, experience a quarterback. I, and I, even if, you know, they lost, they got a good backup in Graham Mertz, a guy I'm really high on. They've got some receivers. Their defense is going to be nasty. Um, I'm, I know I just talked up PJ Fleck, but I, I think uh, I'm going to give it to Wisconsin. And finally, the conference champion, Kyle, you and I go first here. I'm picking Ohio State. I imagine you might be the same. Yeah, I'm going to. I, once again, as, as as long as they're not dethroned, they are the champions. Okay. And then, Jeff, I want you to make your choice and just say it as slow as possible. The uh, flood that's going to overtake Lucas Oil Stadium, cancel the game. I was going to say a meteor, but I can't do that <laughs> with Mark here. So. Uh, it's going to be Ohio State. And Mark. I mean... I, they've just dominated this conference for so long at this point, and they they have so many things looking good for them this year. If there's a season that it, I, I just can't go, I can't go against Justin Fields. I can't, I can't go against Fields and that that offense. I just I think they'll regroup enough on defense, but I mean, who who in this league is gonna is gonna keep them under 30, 35 points? I mean, no and that, you know, yeah. I just I, I don't see where the the weakness is on offense to and then you know if, if they just get decent defense they're they're going to be fine. And those conference championship picks are brought to you by BuckeyeScoop.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all in Ohio State. I think even if it was a normal season with the off, with the out of conference schedule, I think I think all of us probably would have leaned the same way yeah, for the most part. Definitely. <laughs> such a boring pick but it's like you know i mean it is what it is man wait till we get to the acc preview yeah. <laughs> exactly that that's an even that's an even more obvious but yeah so <laughs> syracuse might have something for you brother yeah, yeah. no one comes to the dome when it's empty and walks out with the, wind. <laughs> the newly revamped dome <laughs> just a little bit of construction in the stands when the game plan so before I hope we so. get out of here mark i had one very small on the spot question, and I hope you can you can do this Uh-oh. on your feet. Oh, in all your time covering and interviewing and, and dealing with recruits, who mm, this might be, however you want to interpret this question, either who were you the most wrong about, or who overperformed versus how you would have graded them or thought they were going to perform on the national stage two guys immediately jump to mind even though he was a prolific high school quarterback i never in a million years would have thought mr Trubisky would go number two overall in the nfl draft. was i right was i you were you're right <laughs> was i weirdly like right about that like i looked bad for a minute and then i was actually right i, I don't know um the one I'm definitely was wrong about was Denzel Ward, uh, the cornerback out of, uh, from Ohio State, went number four to the Browns a couple years ago. Um, never in a million years thought he was a top five pick. I mean, he was he was a great he was a good track guy, but he was he was small, skinny. Ohio State gave him about five minutes to contemplate the offer, and then he wasn't going to have the offer anymore. He basically had five minutes to commit to the offer, or or you know go to Illinois or something. Um, so I don't even think Ohio State thought he was a future top five pick, um, and he was just an animal. So 
that would probably be the, the biggest one. That's awesome. And if you want to go ahead, Mark, plug plug uh, Buckeye Scoop again, if you want to, your Twitter, and then we can get out of here. Yep. Uh, just, yeah, BuckeyeScoop.com, uh, daily coverage of Ohio State. Where we do podcasts, we do analysis, we, we, we kind of cover the whole – we have something for everybody if you're an Ohio State fan. So we've got a great, great staff. Um, we're working hard over there and trying to bring the best Ohio State content. And um, You can follow us at, uh, at Buckeye Scoop. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. And if you've made it this far, guys, thank you all for listening. Subscribe if you haven't already. Drop us a five-star review if you haven't already. It helps us with the numbers. And Kyle and Jeff, any parting words? I just think that uh, Buckeye Scoop needs to be sponsored by Jeff's Tears now, too. The the Contezano Tear Trail. (laughs) No comment. Okay, well, now, now we've upset Jeff. Uh, now we've upset Jeff. Guys, thanks again for listening, and we will be back next week. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, Come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.